So I found out Jim's was going to minister to us this morning. I found out they were sharing on the armor of God, and so I chose something from that passage of Scripture in Ephesians 6, or Scripture readings from Ephesians 6. I'm not going to have the, the Scripture up, so if you have your Bible, Ephesians 6, verse 10. And just to help you know where where this is coming from, at the end of Acts, the Apostle Paul is in Rome. As a Roman citizen, he had been put on trial, accused of something he didn't do. As a Roman citizen, he could appeal to Caesar. He had very special legal rights, and so he was taken to Rome. And that was a very dangerous journey. He almost lost his life. And there he waited, and he waited. Eventually, he was imprisoned. He would be released, but he wrote several of his letters from his imprisonment, and during this time, as was the habit, you were often chained to a Roman soldier. And so that's the setting, as Paul talks about, a soldier and his armor and his weapons. So in Ephesians 6.10, he writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. May God bless the reading of his word. The the next letter, Philippians. Paul talks about his chains again, and he says, Because of my imprisonment, word's gone throughout the whole palace guard, the gospel, right? He's been sharing with everyone about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if you haven't realized it, as God's people, we're in a battle, and it's a spiritual battle. We need to listen to our commanding officer. We need to carry out his orders. And so here we are with the armor of God on, and Paul says, in addition to all this, Where'd the shield go? He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We're to take this shield of faith. We're to put it up in front of us so it can protect us. And so what what does he mean by this? What does he mean? So I want to talk about four ideas as we talk about the shield and what it can do for us as God's people. And so the first thing is I want to consider the definition of the shield. The definition. That would be the next slide. What is it? Well, we've all seen the old movies where the fighters run at one another, and they have shields, and they start, you know, with their swords and their spears, and they're fighting. 
You know, as kids, we imitated this. We weren't farmers, but we were the last house in the subdivision next to the cornfield. And every spring and fall, when the farmer came out and tilled the fields, we would go out and have dirt clod fights. Know what I'm talking about? We didn't have video games back then. Mom said, get out of the house. (laughs) We had to find things to do. I won't tell you what we did with bow and arrows. But we all know what a dirt clod in the head, that hurts. So we got smart and we started using shields, trash can lids, sturdy aluminum ones with a handle in back, not like the cheap plastic ones they make today. And they even worked for snowball fights, but it didn't snow that much down in Indiana where we grew up. Now the shield Paul is talking about is the one the Roman soldier used as he marched into battle. It wasn't small. It's not round. It was shaped like a, almost like a small door, two to two and a half feet wide, four to five feet tall. It had a slight bow in it, right, to go around you. Uh, the Romans used shields. They developed their tactics over hundreds of years. And the Roman Empire was one of the largest empires and longest lasting in the history of the world. Because when you became a legionnaire, it was a 20-year commitment. And the training was hard. It was brutal. And even more, you learned to fight as a unit. You fought together. And so the soldiers would always line up in battle formation, the shields edge to edge, forming a wall for protection. When the enemies were were shooting arrows at them, or maybe they were attacking a, a city gate or wall, and people were throwing rocks at them, they would get into the testudo formation. They'd get in close. The guys on the outside would put the shields together. The guys on the inside would put them up, and they were protected. No arrows would get through. No rocks. No darts. Can you guess what the word testudo means? It means tortoise. They got in the turtle formation. So the key to all this is a shield. If you're behind a shield, then you're safe. It makes sense. So the Apostle Paul, he's a Roman citizen. He's in a Roman prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He says, our spiritual battle is God's people. It's like the Roman legionnaire who goes out to battle also. And since it's a spiritual battle, our shield is a shield of faith. It protects us from the attacks of the enemy. We're protected from his attacks, which are temptations. Temptations are the flaming arrows the devil shoots at us. And the only way to fight temptation is through faith. We'll be talking about this some more. But note that the only way to deal with temptation is through faith. Now, what's what's temptation? It's not the same as sin. Just because you've been tempted, it doesn't mean you've sinned. That should be a relief, right? Remember Jesus Christ, he was tempted. He was tempted when he was here on the earth, but we know he was without sin. So temptation is an attempt of the devil through our desires to get us not to obey God or trust God. So why is faith our shield? I want to think about another passage of the Bible, Hebrews 11. Now, some of you know Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter of the Bible. It's called this because it talks about faith constantly. And in verse 6, it says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
Well, what is faith? It's, it's believing there's a God. And he rewards his people. To many people, faith is like, you know, pie in the sky. It's, it's vague, right? It's, it's nebulous because we, we, we believe in different things and we, we think about different things. And some people think, well, if you, if you can just believe hard enough, then that makes something true. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because in the Bible, faith is real, it's concrete, and it's objective. Faith is believing in the evidence which points to the existence of God. We have faith, but faith has to have an object, right? There's, there's something out there that we have faith in, that we trust. Faith does not operate in a vacuum, as if you can make up whatever you want. Believing in unicorns does not make them exist, right? Some people have faith in faith, but that's wrong. You have to have faith in something. Your faith is only as strong as the object you put your faith in. Here's a great saying that illustrates this. Strong faith in a weak bridge will get you wet. Right? Doesn't matter how much faith you have, if it's a weak bridge and it collapses when you're going over it, all the faith in the world doesn't matter. Strong faith in a weak bridge will get you wet, but weak faith in a strong bridge will get you to the other side. Yeah. I have a fear of heights. I don't like the Mackinac Bridge. I'm serious. I'm serious. And then when they're working on it and I have to drive on the grading, that's even worse. I don't get close to the edge of anything. I don't like ladders. Yeah, my faith is weak, but that's okay because I trust the engineering that built the Mackinac Bridge. Sometimes we say, my faith is weak. You know, this, this is going on in my life, or I've heard this news, right? You see bad news, and oh, my, my faith is weak. Pastor, what, what am I going to do? And that's okay. You still have faith, and our faith sometimes has to, has to wrestle, right? It has to grapple with something new. And we have to deal with it. Just keep hanging in there, and God will take you to the other side. So my faith says this. There's a being, the creator of all that exists, and we, we call him God. We call him God. He's spoken to us. Everything we need to know is right here in this book, the Bible. Everything we need to know is in the Bible. Nothing's missing from it. Nothing can be added to it. And almost 2,000 years ago, God the Son took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for my sins. Several weeks ago, we celebrated Easter as resurrection. By putting my trust in him, by obeying him, I will spend eternity in heaven. So can you see what faith is? Was that wishy-washy? Was that vague? No, no. It's real and concrete. So since, since God's spoken to us, what do you think the devil's trying to do? Everything in his power to get us not to trust God, not to do what he says. If God speaks to us through the Bible, the devil's going to do everything he can to keep us from doing what the Bible says by using our desires against us. There's nothing wrong with our desires. God, God created us with them, right? 
but the danger is when we, we go too far, right? Take, take marriage. Take the physical intimacy found in marriage, sex. The Bible's quite clear. It often speaks against sexual immorality, and it says marriage, right? One man and one woman. But how often does the Bible talk about sexual immorality and look at everything going on in the world today? Money's another example. Money is just a medium of exchange. We use it to buy things. But Timothy, Paul wrote Timothy and said this, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed is the undoing of many people. Causes us a lot of anxiety, right? We want to make ends meet. And so the Money by itself isn't evil, but it's the love of money. It's when you want to get too much, or your attitude, your desire, the anxiety, or illegal means to get it. So it's, it's not just that the devil wants us not to believe in God, right? That works with some people. They, they don't want to believe in a God at all. But what he's trying to do for us, right? We're God's people. This is written to believers. He's trying to get us not to trust God. Not to do what we've been told, which is written right here in the Bible. But we have, we have a shield, and it's a shield of faith. Believing what God has said and doing it is what God wants us to do. And every time we obey God, it shows we trust Him, and we have our shield up. And those aren't snowballs or cotton balls coming at us. They're flaming arrows. When we don't trust God, then we've... We've dropped the shield, and they come in and they hit. Let me show you what I mean. Way back in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the third story is the first temptation. Most of us know how it goes, right? In chapter 3, I'll just, I'll just get to the key part. Satan appears in the form of a serpent. He, Satan, said to the woman, Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. What's going on? God said one thing, the evil one comes, and he says something else. What's he telling her? He's basically saying, you don't have to believe God. You don't have to trust him. Listen to what I'm telling you. The Creator has told them not to do this one thing, but now Adam and Eve are being told they can do it. They're being told, don't trust God. Don't, you don't have to do exactly what he says, do you? Come on now. And what happened? They believed the devil instead of God. Can you believe that? We'd never do anything like that, would we? They could have used a shield of faith. But instead, they let their shield down. A flaming arrow of temptation came in, and they were hit. And they sinned. The shield of faith is how we fight temptation. So let's, let's now consider the distinction of the shield. What sets it apart from everything else? Back in the 16th verse of Ephesians 6, 
it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Now, years ago when I was a young Christian, I first read this, I thought, well, maybe it's more important than all the other pieces of armor, right? He says, in addition, take it up. Maybe it's better, but that's not right. We need to take it up in addition to everything else. So we have, on, we have on the helmet of salvation, we have the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, right? But we still need the shield. And that's double protection. You know, as God's people, we, we still get hurt, right? We can still be obedient to God, and we face trials, and we face temptations. We're not exempt. But we save ourselves a lot of grief by doing what God tells us. Let's go with this some more. Why do we need the shield? To extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's great because it means little old you and me, we can, we can do something. right? I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the spiritual giants in life. Famous people, but everyday people. And we're not, we're not weak. We're not open to attack. We're protected. And let's, let's talk about those arrows. Not only would they shoot arrows at you back then... They would cover the tips with pitch, with tar, and so when it hit, it would splatter, and that burned. That really hurt. You know, they didn't, they didn't have guns or bombs back then, but they could still do a pretty good job of killing one another. They even used darts in battle. Yeah, not like the little ones we, we might play with. I won't tell you about what we did with the darts either. These weighed several pounds. There were a group of Roman legionnaires who, instead of throwing their javelins, they would throw darts, and they were clipped to the inside of the shield. And when the enemy got within range, they'd start chucking these at them. Yeah. Ancient warfare, that was brutal. It was brutal. Without a shield, you could be in trouble. The shield wasn't just to protect you from the swords and spears of the enemy. You know, when, when the two battle lines came together... They were to let you get there to fight the enemy. We know about bows and arrows, but just as dangerous were the slingers. Do you know this story? What story is that? And how did David knock down Goliath? With his slingshot. The Bible tells us he took those stones, didn't he? Those little stones. That's not the only time in the Bible the sling is used. In Judges 20.16, it says this, Among all these soldiers, there were 700 chosen men who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. A stone at a hair and not miss. Imagine trying to advance against that. Yeah. So the Roman was often behind the shield, just peeking up a little bit, trying to get there. And a slinger could throw a stone as far as an arrow. Yeah. And when the Greeks invented metalworking, metallurgy, they cast lead shot. That's lead shot from the 4th century B.C. And the Greeks were pretty witty fellows. They would inscribe things on them. Here's one that's got the Greek word for catch. (laughs) Catch that, buddy. Yeah. So use your shield. Use your shield. Paul just talks about flaming arrows, but there's a lot coming at you. These flaming arrows come at us all the time from the evil one, from Satan. He's for real. 
As these verses indicate, we're in a spiritual battle. It's supernatural. It's personal. You can't, you can't sit on the sidelines. And it's futile if we think we can make it on our own. And so what weapon does Satan use? He uses temptations. He cannot make a sin, but oftentimes temptation is put before us. And he wants to tear us down. And it doesn't matter who you are. How do we defend ourselves? With the shield of faith. So here we are, we're standing our ground. We're bombarded with arrows. Here comes an arrow of impurity. We, we live in an impure world, right? Impure world. The images that come our way, even, even on the internet, right? You might get an email from hot chicks. Wouldn't hurt to open that, would it? Here comes an arrow of selfishness. You start to think only of yourself, right? I got to take care of myself. Got to think of myself all the time. Uh Uh-oh. The person next to you just got hit by an arrow of pride. They're thinking they're better than all the others in here today. Be careful. That was a joke. But they're coming, right? Fiery arrows of greed and fear and doubt because we're in a spiritual battle. Think about Adam and Eve. Neither of them had up their shield. And what happened? Not only were they affected, but the entire Creation was affected and put in bondage to sin. We often think sin only affects us. Uh uh. It affects a lot more than that. So the distinction of the shield is to have it up front and we're behind it. So let's get a better picture. Let's keep going. The defense of the shield. Let's see it in action. Right? We want, this is an action sermon. You know the Ten Commandments? What's the ninth one? Thou shalt not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Now we shorten it and we say, don't lie. Don't tell a lie. Well, that's not a suggestion. Whoever heard of the ten suggestions, right? It's, it's not just a good idea or a good thought to make us to feel good, right? This is a command. It's a command of the Almighty God. But we go along, we, we get in trouble. Something happens. Uh, a bad situation comes up. And an arrow comes at us that says this. Just tell a little lie and you'll get out of trouble. Just, just tell a lie. And what's that? It's temptation. So every time we lie, we're believing the devil instead of God. You ever realize that? Every time we tell a lie, we're believing Satan instead of the Lord. And if I asked you, who would you rather believe, the devil or God? The answer's, the answer's easy. But when we tell fibs and whoppers, <laughs> we're believing the devil's lie, which says, Tell a lie. No one will know. You won't get caught. No one will be hurt. You'll get away with it. Yeah. And when we lie, it can get easier. And others are affected. What we need to realize is the devil is a liar and the father of lies, as Jesus Christ himself said. He's the liar and father of lies. Look at what he did to Adam and Eve. But if we use the shield of faith, If we do what God has told us, we'll tell the truth and be protected. There can be consequences. 
Ah, oh, oh, God, you, you guys find so many things out about me. One time I lied to my dad because he didn't want to admit something. I couldn't stand it. Ten minutes later, I told him the truth. And I knew it would be worse because I told him the truth after I lied. Let's look at the life of Jesus. In, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus starts his ministry. He's starting his ministry. And he goes out and he's, he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil comes after him then, doesn't he? The devil comes. He thinks Jesus is weak. He'll have his shield down. Let me read this to you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is weak. Who comes to him? The tempter. He's not questioning who Jesus is as the Son of God. But rather, he's trying to get Jesus to misuse his divine nature and divine powers. The first temptation, Jesus is hungry. What's, what's more natural than that, right? So what's, what's wrong with turning the stones into bread? Well, then Jesus is misusing his divine nature and powers to serve himself, to make his life easier. That would be wrong. Second temptation, Satan's smart. He uses scripture, doesn't he? Notice that Satan uses scripture to try and get at Jesus. But Jesus quotes scripture back. Jesus, just you know, jump off and the angels will take care of you. That's using his divine nature and status as the son of God to be protected. Third temptation, just bow down and worship me. I give you the kingdoms of the world. You can get your crown without the cross. And Jesus says no. The Son of God will only do what the Father would have him do. How did Jesus fight temptation? He said what? It is, it's written. And the amazing thing is, 
All these verses come from the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. Man, now I know the book of Deuteronomy, but if, if I had to quote a bunch of scriptures for protection, I, I might be in trouble. I'm, I'm a little bit better in the New Testament. And so the shield Jesus used was his Bible at the time, the Old Testament scriptures. How big is our shield if it depended upon the book of Deuteronomy? Yeah, we need to know God's word. But we have the entire Bible. We should have a great big shield. So my last thought here, our application is this. We have to display the shield. We have to have it out. It's not enough to know. Doesn't, doesn't do any good to have it hanging on the wall like a decoration or a trophy. We got to take it and use it. We had, a, we had a family Bible. It was on the coffee table. It was on display, but in the wrong sense. We have to use our shields by having them up so we're protected. It's no good to leave your shield at home. And our shield is a shield of faith. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said this, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God, we've got to stand firm in our faith. Isaiah 7, 9. Peter says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Faith is not vague and unreal. It's re- it, it's, it is real, it's concrete, it's objective. It enables us to stand. 1 John 5, 4, this is a victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith in what? Faith in God and what he's told us. Do you ever notice how many times we're told to stand? All we got to do is stand. In Ephesians 6, we're told four times to stand in the first few verses. Stand our ground, stand firm. All we got to do is hold on to what we have. Do you really believe God knows what is best for you? Your family, what you do at work, your relationships with others. Again, in in church, Sunday morning, the answers are pretty easy. But during the week, we're on the front lines of the battle, right? And it's waging. It's waging around us. We can be so burdened. Our cares, our needs. We're living in a fallen world. We might even begin to think, you know, we, we know a little bit better than God. Yeah, God, yeah. Tomorrow you're sitting at work, you know, and can't believe, I can't believe what I got to do with my job. This, times are tough. It's a dog-eat-dog world, right? I got to cut a few corners. Got to do some things to, to save money or make money, and the economy's bad, so I even got to lie a little just, just to keep up. Some people might trust God more in business if it, the Bible talked about mutual funds and the Dow Jones and, and all those things, profit margins. Sometimes a young person starts to think, you know, I'm, I'm sure God knows what's best, but when it comes to dating, God's a little out of date. He doesn't even have a Facebook page or know what TikTok is, I'll bet. So I've, I've got to loosen my standards a little. I've got to loosen my standards a little just to, just to get out there. Yeah. When we think like this, what we've done is fallen for a lie of the devil. 
means he shot a flaming arrow at us. It's hit, and our shield has not been up. Do you really believe God knows what is best for your life? Your business, your relationships, every area of your life. We've already heard this verse, Proverbs 35. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The Psalms, you are a shield around me, O Lord. He is our help and our shield. So we're living here on earth. The evil one, these arrows are coming in, these flaming arrows. Worry, pride, greed, despair, lust. They come at us all the time. But here's a shield of faith. I'm behind it. I'm protected. Believing what God has said and doing it is our shield of faith. Now, talked about Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. It's God's hall of faith. Everyone here is present because they lived by faith. They, they weren't perfect. A lot of mistakes. I probably told you the first time I read through the Old Testament, I was shocked at some of the things these people did. But by faith, and there's a, there's a formula. By faith, so-and-so, right, their name, did this. Here's some examples. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, Refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab hid the spies, and she was saved. And it goes on and on and on. I, let me encourage you, read Hebrews 11 today. And not just today, but every day this week. we got to take in God's word. By faith. The time came in these people's lives when they said, By faith, I'm going to do what God has said, no matter what. I'm going to leave and go where he tells me. I'm going to obey and do this. I'm going to ask you, can you see your name here? Will your name be in the heavenly hall of faith? Yeah. Our stories are being written every day, aren't they? And so can we say, by faith, my name did this, right? By faith, Joe did this. Let's put our names in there. Can you believe what God has said? Can you trust him? The answer is so easy right now. But sometimes we find ourselves in a situation like this. It's summer. You're out with your kids. There's a campfire. And of course, what do kids do? They get closer and closer to the fire. And then one of the parents says, watch out. You might get burned. And the kids say, Oh, Mom, oh, Dad, rules, rules, rules. You're always telling me what to do. I'm not a baby anymore. And then what happens? <laughs> or are we the only family that's happened to? <laughs> yeah. 
We need to trust what God has told us. We need to trust him. And it, we need to know the Bible. We need to know his word. We need to know who he is and have that relationship. But oftentimes in the church, we know enough. <laughs> We're just not doing it. We need to do it. We need to do it. We need to have our shields up so we can stand firm. Let's, let's stand firm and let's obey him. Let me pray. Father God, you've spoken to us. You've spoken to us. And your word's not, it's not wishy-washy. <laughs> we know what we need to do. But it, but it can be hard. It can be hard at times. And so I just pray that we can, we can act, we can trust you, we can live by faith. And it's not always going to be easy, but we want to be your people. And it is, it is a hard world out there, and we face it. But let's remember, we're not alone. You've sent your spirit. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And we, we need to be with your people. We need that fellowship for encouragement and support. And so help us, help us to build bonds within the community of Christ and help us to take time for one another. And Lord, we just pray that day by day we can follow your will, we can follow your word. And thank you. You tell us these things because you love us and you care for us and you want the best. Thank you, we pray in Jesus' name.